What up, world? Your past first point guard and Trail Blazers reporter Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making the show your first listen. Free on all platforms. Coming at you five days a week, Monday through Friday. So make it your first listen. Tell your friends to do the same. It's Locked On Blazers, your team every day. In today's show, five things to watch when the Blazers get back from the All Star break. Uh, we're pretty, we've been pretty Dame heavy this week on the program, so I'm going to watch Dame with a close eye and enjoy him. He's, he's uh, brought me a lot of joy over the years, but we're not going to talk Damian Lord. Yes, I'm going to watch him, but he's not going to show up in the list in today's episode. So I want to go through five things, what to watch. Um, the Blazers are, I, most of what I'm the the reasons behind these things are thinking about the future um the present is kind of is what it is and we'll address that throughout the show but like the 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 next iteration of the blazers is on my mind as i watch that and that's why the, the first two guys are newcomers i want to talk about matisse thibault and cam reddish who i will watch closely for different reasons matisse thibault's had basically one incredibly good game and one stinker his debut against the lakers he looked really good he had 14 points and six boards had a steal and three blocks he made four of six three-pointers the Lakers didn't guard him from three and he said thank you very much wham bam thank you ma'am and hit four out of six three-pointers like straight up didn't guard him on five of them the sixth one they guarded him but uh you know even one of those uh the Luke Cornett contests from Rui Hachimura where Rui Hachimura was uh heels in the paint and Matisse Thibel's in the corner and Hachimura jumps like he's going to contest it from whatever 12 feet away like they just straight up weren't guarding him they they're saying you're not a shooter we're not worried about you we dare you to shoot it and he said i take the dare i would be i'll happily take the dare and he made four out of six he was really special he was good on defense in that game uh you know three blocks two of them chase downs in transition another one sprinting out to malik beasley in the corner really really special he looks just like oh this dude can this dude's really gonna help you know fast forward they play the second night of a back-to-back heading into the break like um you know, they've had a lot of up and downs this year. So I'm not like throwing it away. Like, oh, second night of back to back is hard. Like the Blazers, you know, they're 28 and 30. Win one, lose one is kind of who they are all season long. So no surprise, but they come back and get, you know, thrashed against the Wizards to heading into the break. But Thibel struggled. Two points, a rebound, one assist. He did have four steals, but he's 0 of 2 from 3, 1 of 4 from the field, just like a non-factor offensively. I want to see, and what I'll watch for, is Matisse Thibel become a factor on offense. Uh, it, it is, um, you know, he hasn't been that. That's kind of been the knock on him. He's this really special defensive player, second team all defense the last couple of years, and like, truly, like, plays defense a little bit weird. He kind of almost baits people into into making passes and then kind of like sneaks into the passing lane. Um, he is, he's a great defensive playmaker. And when I use that term, I mean like someone who gets steals and blocks and like creates, creates turnovers and creates um, havoc. Like he's a great defensive playmaker, really, really just a really solid defensive player. But um, the question is, can he be impactful on offense? The reason he is no longer a Philadelphia 76ers is because they didn't think they could play him in important games because his offense was um, non-existent and he would, he would hurt what they were trying to do. You know, uh, Joel Embiid is a specific type of player. You can't have guys that kill spacing around him. Uh, you know, everyone needs space in the league, so it's it, we'll see if it works here. But I, for me, one of the things I'm watching is can Matisse Thibel be an impactful player? And the other thing I'm watching is can 
can a big two guard next to Dame unlock what this team is capable of being? There is no future in which the Blazers are very good playing the type of lineup they've played for the last decade and seven years next to Damian Lillard. Since, you know, since the 15-16 season when C.J. McCollum took over the starting shooting guard through this year with Amphrey Simons starting shooting guard, under 6'5", uh, a, a minus defender, offense first, two guard next to Dame. It just, it has a ceiling. It's not that you can't be good. It's that you can't be great. You has a ceiling. The future with Dame, if this team's going to be good with Dame, it's size and plus defenders around him. And what I want to see, what I want to watch is Matisse Thibel play the two, some Cam Reddish at the three, uh, Jeremy Grant at the four, and Yusuf Nurkic at the five. Real size, real length. Um, you know, I don't know if Cam Reddish is a very good defender, but some real, real, I think he's bad to be clear, uh, but like, uh, real length at the two real, a defensive oriented shooting guard next to Dame, because Dame is so good on offense that you think he can prop up a lot of different dudes. Jeremy Grant's has been a pretty good offensive player this year. Uh, you get Nurk in there to, to, um, add a little bit of that tertiary scoring and, and size around Dame is the future. I want to see if this works because, for the most part, like the lineup data is really noisy and I, I, I think it's interesting, but maybe not particularly a predict predictive in even medium size sample size, according to Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com, friend of the program, like you, you need a lot of minutes, like 500 minutes together for a lineup to mean to be meaningful data. And, and you just don't get that in a regular season mostly. So, um, but the small sample sizes of, of like Dame with Josh Hart next to him at the two and, and Justice Winslow in there, those lineups are way, 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 way better this year. And you don't like the numbers. Sure. Right. Like I'm a, I'm a nerd, right? Like I like the numbers, but just with your eyeballs, a bigger, more defensively inclined player helps. And Matisse Thibel isn't gigantic, but he's really long. He's got great length. He's a really good defensive playmaker. Let's see him develop a little more offense and play some two guard next to Dame. That's what I want to watch in the second half of the season. The other new guy I want to watch is Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish played three games with the Blazers. He's averaging 11 points, two boards, 1.7 assists, and a steal. He's making his shots. 7 of 17 from 3 in 3 games and both of those numbers in fact 7 is nice right like he's made, he had he had four threes against the wizards um made multiple threes in his opener like he's uh, in his debut i mean rather like he's he's shooting 40% from 3 it's obviously a tiny little sample size but to me the number that is more meaningful is the 17 63% of his three point attempts have come from beyond the arc in the blazers uniform obviously tiny little sample size not many games not many minutes but the willingness to shoot matters we'll cite kevin belton here again and kp has written that like volume shooting is more important than accuracy to a certain extent willingness to shoot it draws the defense out that is actually what indicates um how you get guarded as opposed to accuracy the willingness to shoot to get shots up and 17 and three games is a good number for forcing defenses to be honest with you see Yusuf Nurkic for an example of this dude was making like half his three-pointers for most of the year but he didn't shoot many on volume and they never ever guarded him he basically never got any defensive attention from three despite shooting like 48 Eight percent from three for a stretch for like almost two months. Um, it's it's the volume matters, and Cam Reddish as a volume shooter, as a willing shooter, is theoretically an upgrade there from Josh Hart. He's not as good a player as Josh Hart. He's not close right now. But what I want to see from Cam Reddish is I want to I want to see him get minutes twenty plus twenty to twenty eight. Um, I really want a lot of minutes from Shaden Sharp. We'll talk about later in the show. So. Um, 
I've bargained with myself and say, if it's got to be Cam Reddish, that's fine with me. But I want to see, like, Cam Reddish is, um, the platonic ideal of Cam Reddish is the perfect NBA player to put next to Damian Lillard. He's, you know, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, he's, he's big, um, he can dribble. He can shoot. He can get to the rim. He showed flashes of being a very good defender briefly in Atlanta and just never really got an opportunity um, in New York. Sometimes you don't get opportunity because you don't earn it. I think that's part of the problem. In, 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 in two partial seasons with the Knicks, Cam Reddish never showed Tom Thibodeau that he was worth getting in the game. And he even had some random playing time early in the season due to injuries and then got it, got right back out the rotation. Like The, the Knicks are pretty, um, pretty deep. They've got a good bench, so it's not easy to break in there. But if Cam Reddish can put it together with any consistency, 6-7, shoot it, handle it, play defense across multiple positions, that's the perfect player you're searching for. He hasn't really done it with consistency, and I'm not sure 24 games with the Blazers is like wildly going to change your mind. But I will say this, this is a wonderful opportunity to figure out whether Cam Reddish and Matisse Thibel are part of the plan. Just get Reddish 25 minutes a night and figure out if he can put it, put his skills that he has, but hasn't really consistently been, he hasn't consistently been a good shooter. He hasn't consistently been a good defender. See if he can get a bunch of playing time, put it together with some consistency on both ends. Let's see Matisse Thibel kind of figure out where he fits in on the Blazers offense and be really impactful next to Dame as that big shooting guard that could be, you know, the sort of low minute shooting guard. And then if you need him, it closes games as well with like... The, some sort of future acquisition that fixes the whole rest of the roster or just a straight up like useful starting shooting guard because Dame's so darn good that, that Matisse can get there. But here's the thing, both Reddish and Matisse Thibel are entering restricted free agency this summer. The Blazers have their bird rights. They can match any offer given to them. I don't think either of them are going to get an offer sheet, so that's not really going to come up, but it could conceivably. Um, but they're not going to get like a fat offer sheet that like screws up the Blazers money, but um, they can match any offer they get and they have their bird rights and go over the salary cap. That means there's no gymnastics to retain these two guys. You don't have to do anything special. If you want them on their team, um, do, do some order of operations stuff and don't uh, don't hard cap yourself and you can have these guys back and they can be part of the fold. But the, figure, the way you find out if they're going to be part of the fold, because you assume there is some turnover this year from the Blazers just in general. There's going to be some some type of turnover with the roster. Like it's going to look different because they are they have basically said over and over again that they are aiming to make a a roster altering trade this summer. Read into who that might be what you what what you will, but like whatever the roster alters is altered, whatever way it changes, what you learn is whether Reddish and Thibel can be part of what's next. And how you find that out is putting them in a bunch, giving them a bunch of opportunities after the All-Star break. Those are the first two things I want to watch. I got two more things I want to watch, not just new guys, but vets who have already been here. Let's talk Jeremy Grant and Yusuf Nurkic in the second segment. But before we get there, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. It's daily fantasy made easy. I play Prize Picks on my phone on the app on my phone. But you can also go to prizepicks.com however you want to play it. And here's how it works. You pick an entry between two and six players and 
Price pick sets the line, a statistical line, and you pick above or below that line. And if you get it right, you win. You're just playing against Price Picks line, no sharks, no uh, no field, no nothing. Just you versus a line set by Price Picks. I play NBA because uh, I'm I'm a basketball guy and I feel most comfortable in that realm. But they got every sport, so whatever you're looking for, you can play NHL during NHL season. As we head into MLB, you're going to get MLB action as well. You can even get in on some uh, some MLS action as we heat back up here. What Whatever you are looking for, you're going to find action. You can even go cross sports if you want. And if you're a first-time user, use that promo code LOCKEDON because you can get a 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks when you sign up at lock, at prizepicks.com. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Put in 100 bucks, get 100 bucks. Put in 50 bucks, you get 50 bucks. It's as simple as that. Go take advantage today. That's when, And do not forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON at prizepicks.com or when you download the app. That's PrizePicks Daily Fantasy Made Easy. All right. Let's talk about a couple more things I'm going to watch when the Blazers come back from the All-Star break. They're they're 24 and 24, and they're kind of in a weird or they got they're not 24 and 24. They're 28 and 30, but they got 24 games remaining. And get my get my numbers crossed up here in the second segment. They got 24 games remaining, and they're like not bad enough to be among the truly, you know, top 4 uh, lottery odds. They're probably not good enough to be in the top four playoff seeds, but they're three games out of sixth in the West. They're three games away from missing, the, from avoiding the play-in tournament altogether, and they're three games from having the six best lottery odds, from like having kind of juicy chance to get a high pick in the draft. Um, the way the flat, flat and lottery odds have have uh, have impacted the last handful of drafts is that pretty much everybody moves up, or not everybody, pretty much every year somebody moves up. Everybody, this doesn't make sense. So pretty much every year somebody moves up, increasing your odds, moving from ninth to sixth or whatever, ninth to seventh, the lottery odds really matters. But moving from 12th to sixth would be getting out of the playing tournament, a guaranteed playoff spot. That would matter too. So I... You know, I kind of think I know what I think they should do. I think they should miss the playoffs because that would give them a high lottery pick and the Knicks pick, more ammo to trade. I don't think they're going to be an impactful playoff team. I think they have to start thinking about the future. But one way they got to think about the future is think about the vets that they currently have on the team and where they fit into the puzzle pieces. And one of those puzzle pieces is Jeremy Grant. Grant is entering free agency this summer. He's my next thing that I'm going to be watching for after the All-Star break. Grant is entering free agency this summer. He told Jason Quick of The Athletic, he's on the record saying that he has been offered the maximum four-year, $112 million contract extension. He declined to sign it, and he'll head into the offseason and figure it out then. Um, The reason he wouldn't sign it now is because he can he's probably outplayed that average annual value of 28 million he's probably more like in that 30 30 plus 30 right at 30 30 31 i would say is like about fair for the way jeremy grant has played and the way the money now works in the league which is wild everyone's making a lot of money um it's so he can get a little you know he'll sign a little bit more for a little bit more money this summer but more importantly if he hits enters free agency he's eligible to sign a fifth year he's also eligible for larger raises so even if he signs a four-year contract starting at the same amount of money it could end up being a bigger contract in the end also if he wants a fifth year you have to enter free agency to get it entering free agency obviously means there's a chance that jeremy grant can walk but i do not anticipate that's going to happen i anticipate the blazers are going to give him a fat long-term contract and he's going to be under contract at a whole bunch of cash for several seasons so with that in mind if jeremy grant is at least anticipated to be part of the plan in the future one of the things i want to see him is comfortably be the second best scorer on this team i think we've seen him be that 
in fact, when Dame was out earlier in the year, I think the Amphrey Simons-Jeremy Grant duo was some nights, particularly that one night in Madison Square Garden, excellent, excellent on offense. Uh, they had another win in, in, Salt, in Salt Lake City where they were really good without Dame there. Jeremy has shown he can scale up. He's also probably had his worst little bit of a stretch, like heading into the All-Star break. He kind of got back and got going, but for the first time this season, he had a stretch of games where he didn't score 20, where it was like, where is Jeremy Grant? Just really quiet. I'm not really worried about that stretch necessarily, but what I want to see is more thinking about the future. Can Jeremy Grant be a number your second best scorer? Because I think that there is a world in which the Blazers make a trade this summer, and I'm just naming names, like it's, they trade for a OG Ananobi or Mikhail Bridges type, right? Like they're like, we're going to get one of the elite 3 and D players in the league. It, it seems like the asking price for those two gentlemen is astronomical, so maybe not them. But let's say like that what they're targeting is a versatile 3 and D wing. Well, you know, if the top flight of those guys are like Kevin Durant and Jimmy Butler or whatever, and if they get one of them, um, uh, Durant, Jimmy Butler, pretty, there's pretty wide margin between their two skill sets. But like what I'm saying is there is a certain level of like true star, all established all-star, Hall of Famer type that it's like, yeah, that dude will slot in as the Blazers' best player. Dame will be their second best player or something to that effect. But more realistically, the Blazers will add someone who is probably a third or fourth type scorer who raises the team's defensive ceiling, which would mean if they hold on, if they, you know, presumably that that Amphrey Simons would be the big big player you trade to make that happen. Um, I'm probably not ready to say Shaden Sharp at age 20 is ready to step in and be a consistent top-level scorer on a team that competes for deep into the playoffs. So it has to be Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant has to be your second-best scorer in this like specific scenario where you're building out for the future. So one of the things I want to see, every time he's going to miss some time. He's going to miss a couple, at least a couple weeks and maybe more with a grade two ankle sprain sustained right before the All-Star break against the Wizards. So, uh, without Anthony Simons in the lineup, there are points to be had and there's, there's points needed, right? Like, like Ant is the main creator with the second unit. If Jeremy Grant gets those second unit minutes, let's see him be that lead guy. Like he's definitely capable of it, but have him do it with some consistency so you can head into the summer and say, yes, we can focus on upgrading defensive versatility because if you have Dame as your best scorer and Jeremy Grant as your second best scorer and you are something, you can still be something like the third best offense in the league and then you can bump up to 11th on defense, I feel like is a good goal for them. And you get up to, you know, third and 11th, you're one of the competitive teams. Third and 12th, you're one of the really competitive teams you'll compete to make the Western Conference Finals. But to get there, you have to be convinced that Jeremy Grant is that guy, that he can be your second best scorer on a very good offense. And I think this final 24 games is a good way to be reminded or reassured if that's the case, or to say, oop, no, <laughs> no, he's not the one. Um, we, you know, when we do make a trade this summer, we have to trade for someone who could be the second best scorer because Jeremy Grant is more like, the you know is is the other is more the other guy um than than the other dude is that does that make any sense no it doesn't he's more of a number three option versus a number two option is what i'm trying to say there with my guy and dude differential it's late at night i apologize for that one okay the la the next guy that i want to see is nurk he has told jason quick of the athletic that he's targeting to return thursday when the blazers open up their second half of the season against the sacramento kings and even if he's not ready then at some point use of nurkic presumably is going to play basketball again for the blazers what I want to see is can Nurk just be good at what he's good at? 
Nurk's been inconsistent this year and frustrating, and he's also been the scapegoat for players and, and media members of just being like, he's what's wrong with the Blazers. He's not. He's not. He's not their problem. In fact, I kind of think Nurk's been fine this year. The stuff he's bad at is incredibly frustrating. He bricks layups. He's not very fast laterally, and he has coupled that with times where he is not focused and occasionally not focused and not playing hard enough. And if you're not focused and you're not playing hard enough, you look bad. Nurk has had those nights. I am not shooting him bail. I'm just saying, on the whole, I kind of think Nurk's been good. Um, he's just, he, the stuff he's bad at is loud and obvious. And sometimes when you start to get on people, people's nerves, the loud and obvious stuff, the fan base says, that guy stinks. I don't think that's true. In fact, the Blazers have really, really missed Nurk. Uh, they, heading into the All-Star break, the, the final two weeks, they were three and four of their final seven games, and, and Nurk missed all seven of those games after after his um, calf injury flared up against the the uh, Grizzlies. He played two minutes in that game, but so, uh, and, and they lost that one too. So like three and five without Nurk over the final eight games, but, but seven straight games where he did not appear. And in those games, the Blazers had a defensive rating of 124.8, according to cleaningtheglass.com. Uh, that was the second worst in the league over that two week stretch. Only the tankified Victor Wembenyama had in Houston Rockets, who went 0 for 0 and 7 over that stretch, had a worse uh, had a worse defensive rating. And and leading up to that point, from uh, the from the start of the season until Nurk got hurt, basically the end of January. So the, from from February second on, uh, the Blazers had, or from prior to February second, excuse me, the Blazers had had a 116.8 defensive rating. So you know, eight points per 100 possessions worse. If you're not into the points per possessions worth worse, like significantly worse. They were they were significantly worse in terms of points allowed with Nurk off the floor. They miss him. So I don't think that there's like a few, I don't think Nurk is the answer for, if you want to build with Damian Lord and you want to build a championship team, you probably need more versatility to cover for him, more speed in the back. Like Dame has never been a very, very good defensive player and is entering his middle thirties. Like he's about to, he'll turn 33 in July. Happy birthday. Um, like, uh, it is, you, they probably just need more athleticism, more versatility, a guy who can play different schemes, a guy who can, who can cover more ground. Nurk is not that guy, but he's not bad. Um, and so what I want to see from Nurk and what I'll be watching from Nurk is, can he just be strong at his strengths? Can he be a good pick and roll partner? Can he set hard screens? Can he deter people around the rim a little better than he has? And that's for two things. One, Nurk got three years and $54 million left on his contract after this. I don't think he's going to be super easy to trade this summer. But if he plays well, he becomes easier to trade. I don't think there's a world where you trade Nurk straight across for a player who's like better. You trade him straight across maybe for a player that's different. The way you upgrade Nurk is probably package him with other stuff to upgrade that spot. Or you say, hey, we can get worse at center because we're going to prioritize having, you know, three really good wings and we're going to play funky small. But the Blazers need size. It's been pretty clear that they need size. So it, I think there is a world in where Nurk is back next summer um, or next season when the season starts. And part of the comfort in bringing him back would be that he looks good over the final 24 or so games, depending on how many he plays, um, that you're like, yeah, he could be part of the plan. Here's what we need to maximize what he can be. Or he plays really well and he's much more tradable. But you want to see Nurk play well. There's no, there is no good that comes to the Blazers without Nurk playing well, whether he's part of the plan in the future or part of the plan to ship off in the future. Nurk playing well is something you, I'm, I'm hoping to watch. And at this point, like I said, 
his strengths need to be strong. His weaknesses, he's going to smoke some layups. You just got to live with it. Um, if Nurk's strengths are strong, you are getting the best Nurk, and the best Nurk will help the Blazers for sure. Okay, to close the show, let's talk about Shaden Sharp. He's been really intriguing over the last little bit, and he's something, someone I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on uh, to in the final 24 games of the regular season. But before we talk, Shaden Sharp, let me tell you about Bill Bar, best tasting protein bar in the market, best tasting protein bar that there is. Uh, I've been eating Bill Bars for a while. I like them because they're covered in 100% real chocolate. They're sweet and yummy, but they also pack a punch. 117, uh, 117 grams of protein, just 130 calories and four grams of sugar. That's four net carbs all told. They're good and good for you. And now also available at brick and mortar stores across the country walmart and sam's club carry built bars so go get yourself a peanut butter brownie bar go get yourself a box of cookies and cream and find out if i've been telling you the truth all these years thank me later and of course if you don't want to go to walmart or sam's club built.com use the promo code lock 15 get 15 percent off your order check them out you'll like them still a pass first point guard i'm still mike richmond you are still listening to locked on blazers let's talk about shade and sharp um, I want to see Shaden Sharp play a lot of minutes. Like, he's been playing like 20 minutes a night, roughly. Without Amphrey Simons in the lineup, there is room for him to play 25+. plus. I want them to push it. I want them to him to play 35. I want him to play starters minutes. That's north of 30 minutes. Because I want to see what Shaden Sharp has. The Blazers aren't very good. Like, you know, they've played 58 games. We kind of know what they are. Obviously, they could get hot and win a fourth game in a row for the first time since the first four games of the season and put themselves in striking distance to the playoffs. But most likely, like the most likely scenario is that we've seen them play 58 games and we know what they are. And now they're missing every Simons. They're probably going to struggle. Like they're, they're probably going to be what they've been, which is like roughly a 500 level club. Um It's a little frustrating. It's frustrating to see Damian Lord be incredibly good and the team kind of just keep keep it rolling into a a summer of promise to try to get better again like it's frustrating but if there's a part that isn't frustrating it's that the future is right there in front of you in shade and sharp what his future is remains undetermined but that's why i want him to play 35 minutes a night let's get him the reps there's space to get him reps go out there fail miserably fail spectacularly see who you are if you if if it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. If it does work out, amazing. Look what you discovered. So play Shaden Sharp 30 some minutes tonight. Like I want him to play 36. I want him to like, I want him to just figure out if he can hang with starter minutes and if he can be a like a neutral NBA player at age 19 playing 36 minutes a night. I don't even expect him to be a positive NBA player, but I expect him to be neutral with some spectacular moments or hope that he could be neutral with some spectacular moments. If he's a negative, like if he's bad, detrimental even, Fine, fine. Like you've reached the point in the season where the future matters more. I have been talking about Shane Sharp having kind of like a a bad December for a lot. I've mentioned it in passing a bunch of times recently on the podcast because I've talked a lot about Shane Sharp. I want to mention this, and I don't think I've I don't think I've clearly spelled this out. He broke his right pinky, fractured his right pinky, fractured a bone in his right pinky is, is more accurate. Fractured a bone in his right pinky on November 9th, and he struggled. And then he got a lot better. Here, here's the here's the splits, the pinky splits for Shaden Sharp. Pre pre finger injury, played eleven games, 
Averaged 9.4 points per game, shot 51% from the floor, 44% from three, and 73% from the free throw line. Then they go to Charlotte, breaks his pinky, um, misses misses one game, comes back November 12th, says, okay, I'm just going to play through it. And then the next six weeks, from there until the new year, and I just cut it off at the new year kind of arbitrarily, um, that happened to be the like sort of split. But uh, from there until the new year, he played 23 games, averaged 6.8 points, 45% from the floor, 30% from three, and 50 56% from the free throw line. Shooting bricks, 30% from three, and 56% from the free throw line. He was shooting bricks. Um, he breaks a breaks a finger in his shooting hand and starts shooting bricks for six weeks. Then 2023 calendar year flips over. Um, this, again, this is kind of like an arbitrary cutoff, but sure. Calendar year flips over the final next 23 games. So that was a 23 game stretch. The next 23 games averages 8.3 points, shoots 49% from the floor and 37% from three and back up to 70, 71% from the free throw line. He's weirdly like a 73% free throw shooter when he's been healthy, uh, when his hand hasn't been bothering him. That's weird. He should shoot better from the free throw line, but we'll that we'll get we'll get to that later for Shane Sharp. Uh, so basically, like he was shoot he's shooting north of thirty seven percent. He's a slightly above average three point shooter when his hand hasn't been busted, and he had a six weeks where his hand was busted and he was struggling. Also, I think teams wisened up to how he was going to score and how he was going to attack. I think he over those six weeks while he was indeed struggling, also like was learning, okay, now that I'm on the scouting report and they know how to handle what I'm going to do, how else can I, how else can I score? How can I like, you know, be shot ready when, when the ball comes to me? How can I, how can I like figure out where my shots are going to come from the offense in the offense and, and be ready to, to take advantage of those times? Like it's both. He probably wasn't fully healthy. And also he was a teenager learning the ropes of the league. Um, it's always a little bit of, it's always a combination, but, um, I thought I wanted to, I want to spell out those splits cause I haven't been, um, I've kind of mentioned it passing, but I haven't been as clear about, about the, the, you know, you break a bone in your shooting hand and then you shoot terribly for six weeks. It's worth at least someone who hosts a daily podcast to circle it and say like, yeah, there was a time when maybe his shooting wasn't right because he had a physical ailment. Also, I think he was just kind of figuring it out. Here's what I want to see from Shaden Sharp though. Self-created offense. According to Clean the Glass on the year, Shaden Sharp, 75% of Shaden Sharp's made field goals are assisted. 70% of his shots at the rim are assisted or makes you don't get uh, assists on on misses 70 percent of his buckets of the rim are assisted and 100 percent of his buckets from three are assisted cleaning the glass uh, filters out garbage time so i'm sure you could go and find some uh, garbage time minutes where he's made some threes off the dribble but in the run of play like the point of the cleaning the glass statistical model is like they're trying to find like when the games are competitive what do you do because that's like the realest version of your numbers and a hundred percent of shade and sharps made threes according to cleaning the glass are assisted all of them every every one of them <laughs> he, he does has not made an unassisted three yet i want to see that diet change now you might say 75 all all 75 percent of all the shots 70 percent of the rim 100 percent of his three pointers like those numbers mean nothing to me okay how about a little context for context anthony simons 47 percent of anthony simons shots are assisted that means more than half of his shots he scores unassisted I mean, you watch Ant. He dribbles a lot. Sometimes he over dribbles. He's a he is a self creator. He makes he can score on his own. One of the you know it's it's what makes Ant special is you can give him the ball and he can go get a bucket. 
I do not think Amity Simons is going to be that. 34% of Ant's shots at the rim are assisted. He's getting to the rack. Like he get he gets he gets to the rack and he and he finishes without assists, right? Like he he is driving to the rim. That is the profile of someone who gets the ball and takes it themselves to to the paint. Like he's not getting uh, lobs thrown up to him or scoring off cuts or all those things. Ant could probably be a better cutter that could help him out if that number changed. But I don't think Shaden Sharp is going to jump from seventy to thirty four percent in terms of assisted shots at the rim. Like that's um, that's too big of an ask. Uh, and seventy percent or from at the rim and from three, seventy uh, percent of Ant's three pointers are assisted. Catch and shoot threes are good. Um, I think seventy is a great number. 75, 70, 75 is a great number. Like still three quarters of your threes to be assisted because they're just easier shots and you want to take easier shots. It's better shots in the offense, but a little bit more shot creation would be better for for Shaden Sharp. Ant is probably a bad comparison because Shaden Sharp's handles aren't close to being where Ant's are um, right now. Sharp is just, he's just not going to be that. And he's like, Ant is like point guardy and Shaden Sharp is like wingy. Uh, and so maybe comparing him to another wing is a little bit better. How about Ben Matherin? I feel like that's a pretty good comp in terms of physical tools, age, you know, they're you know, same draft class, about the same size. Obviously, Shaden Sharp's a better athlete because he's a better athlete than everyone. But Ben Matherin, a guy who's been really good as a rookie, and his shot profile, I think, is something that Shaden Sharp should aspire to to build towards in the in the final 24 games of the regular season. 65% of Matherin's uh, field goals are assisted. 71% of the rim, so about the same amount. But 76% of his three-pointers are assisted. That's 86 percentile among wings, according to Clean the Glass. That's the number I want to see from Shaden Sharp. Play him 36 minutes, run some pick and rolls, take some dribbles, get into your own offense. Um, I think a lot of Shaden Sharp's problems are his feet. I think sometimes his feet aren't ready to on the catch. And then sometimes when he makes a one dribble move, his feet get sped up a little bit or they get, um, you know, they get at, sort of out of rhythm where he's not on balance and he either takes a bad shot. You don't get an assist. It's a, neither an assisted or unassisted bucket. It's just a miss. He takes a bad shot or he turns the ball over walking or he just, or he has to make a play because he because his feet aren't ready or aren't under him. Let's see him get into a little more self-created offense. That's my goal for Shaden Sharp. That's what I want to watch in in the second half is, is Shaden Sharp even if he fails, like I said up front, like if he's bad, sure. But like this is what I want him to be bad trying to do is to find his own offense. Not ball hog, not like hijack the offense, but have because Ant's not playing, because there is this gap on the bench where it's like um, there's opportunity for someone to go score. Have have Sharp try to hone his game with some self-created offense. That's what stars do. They create their own offense. If Shane Sharp's going to be a star, this is the evolution I want to see. He doesn't need to do this over the next 24 games. Like, this is something that you want to see him do over the next two seasons. But if there's ever been a a perfect laboratory setup for him to experiment, it's Anthony Simons gets hurt on a team that seems pretty comfortable with missing the playoffs. You're 19 years old. You already been get, have a natural role. You're going to get a bigger role. Go see if you can score. Go see if you can score. Go see if you can get yourself to the rim. Go see if you can get some jumpers off. Go see if you can find three pointers. Um, it is he doesn't need a crazy uptick, but a shot, a assisted shot profile that looks more like Ben Matherin's is a better shade and sharp. That's what I want to see for uh, for the, in the second half of the season. That's Matisse Thibel, Cam Reddish. A little Jeremy Grant as a number two. Yusuf Nurkic being good at what he does, and Shaden Sharp as a shot creator. Those are what I want to see. Tell me what you want to see in the YouTube comments below or email me if you're an audio listener, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's going to do it for today's show. 
We got more shows coming the rest of the week. That's what we do. Free on all platforms, Monday through Friday. Make it your first listen. Tell your friends to do the same. I appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon.